back to your first student flat. Mine was on Dunder Street in Dunedin. You had to drag yourself up the steep, craggy staircase to get there. It was this beat-up old weatherboard place with this long, magnificent balcony overlooking the Logan Park sports fields. It was facing due south. No insulation, five open fireplaces. Glorious in summer, ferocious in winter. It was freezing and wet and mouldy. It was great. But it was also horrifying. But it was also fantastic. You know, it was part of it. But what exactly is it? The Greens are demanding more support for students after a survey they commissioned found two-thirds of respondents are struggling to buy food and other necessities. A recent survey of wellbeing shows there's real financial pressure on students, and this is forcing them to make serious sacrifices. We were about 10 days away from being homeless. Uh, for $205 a week, I pay for a room that has mould on the windows, um, high levels of condensation. We're hearing of students every day who are having to make decisions between paying for the bus to education and um, paying rent, who are having to make decisions about whether they have lunch that day. Last year was costing me maybe $40 a week for groceries. Now it's easily $70. So today on The Detail, what is the financial reality of life for students in Aotearoa? Is it time to stop romanticising the school of tough knocks? And what are some initiatives we could realistically introduce that would make a meaningful, long-term difference? Kirsty Frame is a reporter with RNZ, and I'm talking to her because... Before I came to RNZ, I was uh, the editor, co-editor of Salient Magazine, which is the student magazine at Victoria University of Wellington. Um, before then, I gosh, my degree took me about uh, four and a half years nice. to get through for for a BA. <laughs> Beautiful, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm definitely in that boat as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's an experience, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Of life. You know, cha- changed my changed my major one or two or three times, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we we got we got here, fell into. The, um, the realm of student media, and, yeah, it's what got me kind of here today. Yeah, gee, that must have been a pretty full-on year to be editing a, a student magazine, 2020. Yes, yeah, and and with very little kind of experience beforehand in the sort of weekly magazine um, schedule. So, yeah, it was definitely um, a very, very interesting time, lots of lots of highs and lows for sure, and um, I don't, don't regret it in the slightest, no matter how kind of hard it did get. Well, yeah, I mean, I want you to reflect, if you would, on, mm. on your year as the editor of Salient. Um, did you get new insight into the living standards well, the, the living situations of students who you hadn't previously kind of seen or heard from in that year? Yeah, absolutely. And I think by by nature of me running the magazine during the year of the pandemic or when it began, I think that was the tipping point for a lot of students. You know, it was when things had been bad up to that point, you know, the, the way in which some people were living, the the sort of hustle to get through the week in whatever kind of way financially. And then 
lockdown happened and students were kicked out of their halls and expected to keep paying. Victoria University students asked to leave their university halls for lockdown will soon have to foot some of the bill even though they can't yet return. They've been told that this coming week they will have to pay up to $150 and students are far from impressed. Or a lot of students who had casual contracts couldn't quite get the support they needed uh, and were also the first to get let off. Um, and so they found themselves, you know, without an income and with no way to find a new job while we were in this, this lockdown. So I think that period of time, we really just got a lot of students that were like, what is going on? I'm on the bones of my ass even more than what I am used to. And spending time in their mouldy flat, in their cold flat for a month, five mm. weeks, however long it was. I think that was really the tipping point for a lot of students and we got plenty of people just wanting to kind of just speak out about it or, or talk to us about it and and there was just an abundance of different angles that we could find for our coverage in that period of time because it just seemed like from a lot of different angles students were getting financially burdened and were suffering a lot of consequences of that that were worse than what we were used to. Are there any particularly harrowing stories that you remember from that from that year that have really stuck in your mind? I remember I was talking to a student, um, maybe it was like halfway through the year, so after all the kind of lockdown situations were back on campus and for, for reasons that were very complicated, his... Uh, student loan got cut off while he was still studying and he was going through all of this administrative drama to, to kind of get himself back on track and during that time he had no income, he couldn't uh, get himself a benefit with MSD because he was already sort of tied to his study link so there was just all this complexity that he was trying to understand while his savings week by week by week just kept going down until there was nothing and and he was he ended up sort of subleasing his room and, and just couch surfing for as long as he could and that was just a really and, and, and that kind of thing it impacted kind of every way of his um, his studies his his social life all that kind of wellness that you that you need at that time and it just ha- you know it was one of those things that it wasn't the first time I'd heard a story like that in my sort of four years at uni previously, people were did have issues administratively getting their student allowance one way or another. The, those kind of things did just happen and students could find themselves just really stuck um, quite quickly. Two-thirds of university students are regularly struggling to buy food, clothes, pay bills and get healthcare. Nearly 70% say they had poor mental well-being during the pandemic. This has all come out from a people's inquiry into student well-being. There's a lot more. It's, it's been commissioned by the Green Party and various student unions. It also shows the average university student is spending more than half their income on rent. 64% of students don't have enough time to attend classes as much as they'd like, often because they're working too much or the cost of transport is too high. Uh, and I guess the core finding is that absolutely none of this struggle is inevitable. It's the consequence of political decisions that have been made in the past and are still being made today. It might be a good time now to talk about money in relation to being a student and how that all works. It's expensive to fund a university education. So many countries, like New Zealand, have enacted student loan programs where the government fronts the cash for you to get an education and you pay it back over time. And that works out in the long term because historically, 
people with university educations have tended to earn more over their lifetimes. Now, many courses expect students to study for 40 to 50 hours a week. So in addition to fronting study costs, students can also get assistance with living costs. Some students, largely from poorer backgrounds, qualify for a student allowance. That's a maximum of about 280 bucks a week, and you don't have to pay this back. However, most students borrow their living costs. Again, this is a maximum of 280 bucks a week, but you do have to pay this back. 280 bucks a week is not much money. No, it's not. Especially when your rents, I think, you know, average rent in Wellington now for like a student, say, is about $250, just rent. That's not expenses, that's not your power, your food, anything like that, any kind of transport as well. Because Wellington, I guess, is um, there's no kind of student location to live in like there is in Dunedin, say. Mm -hmm. So everyone's kind of dispersed out all across the city, depending on lots of different factors. But yeah, very quickly. I mean, we've always just had the assumption that our student loan was, you know, it was just to help with rent. It was, we didn't see it as any other money. It was, it was the rent and then we'd make the difference up. Yeah, well, I mean, that regional variation thing is staggering because, I mean, even, you know, again, calling on my experience here, I stayed in Dunedin. Admittedly, this was, you know, 11, 12 years ago. But I, mm. I never paid more than 120 bucks a week for, for a flat. And that would get you a shoebox in Auckland, if that. Yeah, I, I, I t- totally, totally agree with that. They definitely felt, you know, I would catch up with my friends. I'm from the South Island. I would catch up with my friends that went to um, UC or Otago and... I was kind of one of the only ones that were working, you know, at least 20 hours a week on top of studying. And I was the only one that was in the the 200 mark plus for rent. And, you know, we were all getting the same amount of money. And, you know, we were also to some degree still doing it rough and, you know, doing what we could to get by. But there was definitely sort of this... Um, this kind of variation depending on where you chose to study, which I found really interesting because no, like, there's no kind of difference with the university's kind of support to maybe help with that, recognising that their locations, like Wellington, for example, is in a city that is a lot more expensive to live in and has actually, you know, a housing shortage at the moment. What do you think students want? Like, I mean, we shouldn't paint this as this sort of dystopian, you know, Blade Runner kind of universe of studying at university. It's, it's not like that. If you did a survey of, of all of the students in the country, what, what do you think they would say that they want that would make their lives easier? I think it is, it is down to having more money because with more money comes more power to change the parts of your life, whatever they may be, because it's all very different across across your circumstances across the country, what your biggest pressure point is. It might be transport for some people. It might be the the cost of their actual rent for some people or, or the quality of their house or the time that they have uh, working instead of studying. So I think there's lots of different pressure points for students wherever they are. And so I think it really does come down to the income that they do have to use each week. Sam Blackmore heads the University Students Association. He is tired of government inaction. Together with the Greens, he's calling for a major boost to student allowances, as well as making it available to all. Last year, the association calculated that an increase of $100 a week, plus universal access, would cost taxpayers just over $2.5 billion a year. 
And Sam Blackmore says it is well worth it. Students remain some of the most vulnerable people in our communities, borrowing money to live in an environment that makes them sick through mould and cold, all while eating two-minute noodles. This idea of increasing and expanding the student allowance, that's the living costs you don't have to pay back, it's been mooted for a while. Labour promised to do it back in 2008 and has made noises about this since, but it's always fallen by the wayside. But now, the Greens are taking up the issue. A universal student allowance, fees-free, free public transport, rent controls and a rental warrant of fitness. In a nutshell, we want to reverse the trend which has got worse over the past few decades of uh, students effectively living in poverty. I might say that part of the Greens campaign platform in 2020 was a guaranteed minimum income which to students would have delivered effectively a universal education income, exactly what we're calling for in this report. Students today are far worse off in real terms, thousands of dollars a month and particularly a year than students only 10 years ago. We need to make a decision as a country about what kind of country we want to be. But there are some tricky aspects to this. First off, the cost. Increasing the student allowance to $380 per week and making it available to all university students would cost, as we've just heard, about $2.5 billion. That's nearly four times what we spend on student allowances now. There's also an argument that giving free money to university students is essentially a wealth transfer to those who need it the least in the wider scope of things. As we noted earlier, people with university degrees on the whole have historically enjoyed higher lifetime earnings than those who don't. And students from decile 9 and 10 schools are much more likely to go to university than students from lower deciles. Finally, some economists argue that simply throwing money at this issue misses the point. The biggest cost for most university students is housing. And these economists say without a massive increase in housing supply for students, any boosts to student allowances would simply end up in the pockets of landlords. We've gotten into the terrible spot where we romanticise crappy, run-down, rotting villas as being heritage that cannot ever be touched except to refurbish it in ways that are completely cost-ineffective for the person who owns it. That's a mistake. That is Eric Crampton, chief economist at the NZ Initiative Think Tank. A few years ago, the initiative released a report looking at the student loan scheme in New Zealand and how it could be improved. And it came up with an unusual recommendation reinstating interest on student loans to ease government lending constraints and enable students to borrow more money. When I was a student, I always worked during the summers, but I did not work while I was in study. I wanted to be able to focus on my studies. I borrowed to be able to do that. Now, if you're not able to borrow enough to do that because the government faces massive costs in enabling that borrowing because it is subsidizing the interest payments so greatly, that's not making students better off, right? So if you put interest on the loans, students now are paying it. They're only paying it back once they're in employment after they're earning enough to start paying the loan back, right? So we have an income income contingent student loan repayment scheme here that... You pay it back 
through the tax system once you hit a minimum earnings threshold. So it doesn't affect you while you're studying. You're not earning enough at that point to be paying it back. You're still borrowing. You pay it back once you're in employment. If people then wind up borrowing more or having facing larger repayments because it's facing interest, like you'd add a couple of years to your student loan repayments if you added interest back onto it. Is it better to be massively constrained when you're a student, unable to borrow enough to study? Some people locked out of study entirely because they can't borrow enough to cover their costs while they're in study. Or to ease things up a bit, put interest back on and face repayments for a couple of more years than you otherwise would have been facing them for. So right now, the system as it's set up is great for students who have that actual parent support. Because if you're coming from a rich household, you borrow at 0%. Your parents help pay the bills anyway. So it's a great scheme that way. For those who are too poor to have that support, whose parents aren't coming from a wealthier background, you just can't borrow enough to be able to facilitate your study. It's not helping. So the, we have to get housing sorted so that rent can come down to the levels that you've been citing there. But we also need to adjust the student loan scheme so that students can actually borrow to access study. What you seem to be saying, dear, is... Reintroduce interest on student loans, which therefore increases the amount that governments are capable of lending out, which means that students can borrow more to service their living costs. And while doing that, simultaneously increase the supply of the single greatest expense for students, which is housing, which creates more competition. Absolutely. Allowing a lot more of those things to be torn down and replaced with modern apartments that are affordable, allowing it to be a sort of student tier where, okay, maybe they're a little bit smaller, maybe they're not quite as flash as sometimes there's lobbies from sort of in the leafy suburbs where they say, oh, well, we're not against housing, but it has to meet our standards and they prescribe things that make it impossible to build. Allowing entry-level housing to come onto the market is really important because the alternative to it isn't that everybody's living in luxury condos. The alternative is that people can't afford housing. They're living in garages or living in cars or living in moldy, rotting flats. Have you ever heard the expression, youth is wasted on the young? No. It's like, the, you know, the idea that like youth is the most precious thing that you have, you know, this this ta- time mm. and youth is the most precious thing that you have, but the, the people who are least equipped to, to, to appreciate that are young people, mm. you know. Mm. And, and maybe that there is a, an embedded sense of resentment maybe towards students because of that. It's like, well, you know, you can live like this because you're young and buggy you for that. Do you know where I'm getting at with that? I don't yeah, know. yeah. You know, you kind of get told by people that you look up to, whether they're, you know, your family or your elder peers and stuff. Naturally, as a young person, you're kind of looking to get some guidance on, you know, whether you've kind of gone on the right track or whatever. And, yeah, when you get told, you know, oh, like, you know, harden up, you're going out on the weekend, you know, you're having a good time, you can gaslight yourself into thinking that, what's happening is just how it is and it's actually not so bad and all that kind of thing. You, you really second guess the situation that you're in, I think, and I think it's because of the, the messaging that's sent down. But young people go through a lot of really hard stuff. Like, my 20s have been... I think a lot of people can say that their, their early 20s and late teens have been really hard. You're, you're, you're trying to adjust to this world that's very confusing and, and troublesome and, you know, I think with the way things are going at the moment and cost of living, all, all the things. There's a lot to kind of digest and it's quite easy to try and grin and bear it because you just don't quite know what else to do. 
I'm curious about your thoughts as to whether you think that students themselves are partly maybe to blame for inertia in this area in the sense that back in the 90s, so my mum went to university in 1991, that was her first year at uni, that was when, I think 91, 92, that was when the student fees came in for the first time. Oh, yeah. And... Man, there were like riots. There were riots. In Dunedin, they took over the clock tower. You know, it was insane. Like, people really, the students mobilised. They they, they saw their power. Maybe I'm just not paying attention, but I I don't see that. I see much more of a sense of apathy among the student body as a whole. Am I wrong there, do you think? Is there enough participation or recognition of the power that students as a community, I suppose, have? It's quite a surprising one, honestly, because we're also the the group of people that are the first to march down to Parliament for climate change and, and all that kind mm, of thing. Yeah. But I think we've inherited this kind of system that, for as long as we can remember, has been the way it's been. You know, we can't really remember the change of when sort of you started having to pay for tuition as opposed to getting paid by the government to go to university. And I think the apathy just kind of comes from not knowing how to even try and fix it or how to advocate for yourself because I think there's just such a a deeper acceptance of it. And I, I don't think it's coming from a place of it not being as bad as what maybe, you know, the results of the survey has found uh, has come to find. I think it's just you're in that environment and you you just don't quite, you're, you're learning so many new things and the world, I think, is a lot more overwhelming today than what it was 20 years ago and there, maybe there's just a bit of exhaustion with it. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Alexia Russell. Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer, and thanks to Kirsty Frame and Eric Crampton. Matewa. <laughs>